Morning. Thank you, Anne. Yeah, so as Anne said, my name is Matt. Um, I was trying before the service to think of some interesting things to say about myself. So um, I think the first thing I can say is, uh, two weeks ago I celebrated my 40th birthday. Thank you. Um, and there was, I got a card from a couple. They're probably here today, can't quite see them. And they, in, the, in their card they wrote, I can't quite believe you're 40. Now, I assume what they meant was, I look about 27, you know, 30, but who knows, you know. Um, and the other thing let me, let me share with you is, um, on Friday, uh, we celebrated our fifth wedding anniversary. Um, and it still feels like yesterday, the day when we walked down this aisle and celebrated together. Um, and yeah, five years happily married. We've now got a little boy called Noah. And, uh, and for those of you who don't know, we've got another one coming on the way as well early next year. So uh, very happy. <laughs> so this morning, we're going to be looking to continue through the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, that great New Testament book um, known as the epistle or letter to the Hebrews and in the original Greek, just to the Hebrews. Um, now, we don't know the author of the book. Originally, it was thought to be Paul, but um, Greek scholars consider the book to be, um, if not the, the most, then very much a very polished and eloquent book of the New Testament and um, very much written in the style to imitate Paul's writings, as you'll see in the New Testament. And the big theme of Hebrews um, is Jesus is superior. That's the theme. And the book encourages Christians to remain faithful to Jesus in the face of persecution. Now, I'm going to read the passage a little bit later, but just before I do, um, I'd like to share with you something. There's a saying that I... Um, like to say now and again um, and that saying is people follow people and I think that this to some degree goes to show how the world works and how society works around us um, I think this happens on individual levels I think this happens on large um, organized levels um, now our little boy Noah when he was born he was born and came out of hospital the first day of lockdown one last year. And I think he thought that essentially the only three people in his life that were ever going to be real were me and Joe and our lodger Elaine. And for the first six months of our lives, um, that is all he saw. And he was essentially following us. Um, all of the things he learned, he got from us, all the interactions and all those development steps entirely from us. And then I realized after, um, well, more recently, I should say, that um, turns out that Noah's actually been following other people as well. And uh, we realized, or I realized literally, I think probably last week, that he's learned sign language without me even knowing about it. Um, so he's been going to the nursery for the last six to nine months. And it turns out that he can say please and thank you in sign language. We never even knew it. He's been following that lead. It's fantastic. He just does this. I think it's the Makaton sign language for please. And that's how he indicates how he wants something from us. Um, so there's just an example of, of how Noah has been following other people. I think for all of us, I'm sure we can think of throughout our whole lives times where we've been following others and the influence of others. Sometimes 
wholly intentional. You know, sometimes we might pick a mentor. We might pick a therapist. Maybe we need to seek wise counsel from people that we trust and we follow their guidance. Sometimes a very popular thing a few years ago was life coaches. You, know, you might get yourself a life coach and follow their ways. Sometimes slightly less intentional. I think the world of social media is probably a great example of this, where we, we get sucked into um, what social media is telling us, what, what influences are telling us, and what the cultural norms are um, at any one time in life. Um, we were recently away in Oxford, and um, I realized that Oxford is not quite the same as Cambridge. I've been here so you know, a good five, six years now in total, and... Um, I've gotten used to being able to order a vegan meal when I go out. Tried to do that in the West Oxfordshire countryside last week. Very, very difficult, you might imagine. Um, but this is because, you know, Cambridge, there's a cultural norm, isn't there? People are following people. People are influencing people. And that's the culture in which we find ourselves. It's quite pertinent, I think, today to consider Remembrance Sunday, the, the people that followed other people into battle and sacrificed literally their lives for serving their country and for um, a wider goal that in the midst of it, I'm sure, didn't look like it was achievable. Um, people following people, people trusting that they can find the answers through others. But let me ask you a question when we consider the people that we follow in our lives and the influences that we have, both good and maybe sometimes less good, how many of the people that we follow are signposting us to Jesus? I think that's quite a difficult question sometimes. Now, I think there's, in considering people following people, probably two main problems with that. Some people are signposting us away from Jesus. Sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. And I think when this happens and we get caught in this, I think it's very subtle. And it doesn't always seem obvious. And then sometimes it's too late. I think the other problem with people following people is sometimes people place themselves as the destination and not as the signpost. Now as we look in Hebrews 3, let me read to you the passage for today, which is Hebrews 3 verses 1 to 6. And the title of this section is, Jesus is greater than Moses. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful for, to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. 
Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. And we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. This is the word of the Lord. So in looking at this passage, let me start by saying that Moses is the signpost to God. But Jesus is the destination and is our destination. Now for a bit of context, in in this passage from the previous verses, I'm sorry, from the previous chapter, Jesus was being compared to angels previously and now he's being compared to Moses. Now these Christians at this time, they were suffering massively with persecution and there was a temptation to abandon Christianity entirely and return to the Jewish Old Testament law-based roots. And the writer is writing to the Hebrews and reminding them that Jesus is greater than Moses. Moses was good, but Jesus is better. Moses led God's people through the wilderness, and he built the tabernacle. But Jesus is also the leader of God's people. And Jesus wasn't just the builder of a tent, but he was builder of all of creation. Moses was a faithful servant in God's house, but he didn't build the house. God built the house. Moses pointed to the greater things that God would do. He was the signpost. He was pointing the way to God. But Jesus is God. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is in and over the house and he is the destination. And we are the family members in God's house. So in comparing what happens when we are confused by the signposts and the destination. What happens when somebody becomes the destination? Well, they often let us down, unfortunately, and that's the truth. I have an example of a a friend of mine who last year, he he got in touch with me. We we caught up. We hadn't seen each other that often during COVID. And he said he was really struggling with his faith. And... I asked him the question, why, why are you struggling with your faith? And I was, I think I imagined the answer would be, well, COVID, of course, you know, that's why I'm struggling. Um, it turns out it wasn't COVID at all that was the struggle for his life. Actually, the struggle was, um, was the US election of last year. And the reason why he was struggling was because he had found, um, found great insight in, in following some of the um, kind of mega church prophets of America, 
and probably you know people that we all know and have heard of. And they prophesied the outcome of the election, and they were wrong. And what happened was, my friend, he said, I'm really struggling with this. I don't know if I can trust these people anymore. And what he was saying was that his whole foundation of faith was built on following these people, and these people had let him down, and he didn't know what to do, and he was struggling. But why do people follow people? Well, I think the answer is because everyone ultimately is looking for a saviour. But as we see in the world today, and as we've heard of countless times in history, even the greatest human leaders make bad saviours. Because there is only one saviour, and his name is Jesus Christ. And the greatest single thing that you could choose to do today, if you've not already, is to become a Christian. The greatest decision you could make in your life is receiving Jesus Christ as the one and only Lord and Savior. And if you choose Jesus today, you arrive at the destination. No longer lost between signposts, but reaching the destination of the one and only saviour in our lives. And I'd encourage you, if you've not already, to make that decision, if you haven't, and to start living as a Christian. And in addition, for those of us who already know Jesus as Lord and saviour, we all share in the heavenly calling. Now there were some verses in the passage that I read, I'm going to reread those ones. And it's essentially the first verse and the last verse of this section. I'm just going to read those two together. So verse one, it says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. And then it goes on to say in the final verse of this section, but Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house. And we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. And the important sections in those verses, I think, are we are brothers and sisters. If we believe and follow Jesus Christ, we are brothers and sisters and we share in the heavenly calling But we need to hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So I think the question is, what is the heavenly calling? And I think the answer is really simple. I think the answer is the call to live a life as a Christian. To live a life of faithfulness and obedience. Not to give up, not to sell out. And we all share in this together as brothers and sisters. I think some of us maybe we've been Christians for a long time, but maybe we're still maybe we're still on the baby milk at the moment, and we need to need to graduate into maturity in our faith 
to embrace the eternal perspective because we do live in the middle of God's plan between Jesus' resurrection and return. That's where we live today. We are part of that plan. And we don't know what tomorrow brings. We don't even know if we'll be here tomorrow. We don't know when Jesus will return. But we do know, and I can promise you, that he will return. And as we give our lives and partake in that heavenly calling, we realize that our life is not our own. He calls us to serve and he calls us to be humble. And I think the thing that we need to do to embed that heavenly calling within our lives is to establish what is God's will for your life? Where am I supposed to be? Am I doing the things that I'm supposed to be doing? Am I living in a way I'm supposed to be living? Now, I had this in my own life very uh, pertinently a few years ago. I was, I was struggling where I was in a relationship that, that failed. And I lost a lot of things. I lost a lot of friends. I lost the church that I'd been part of for many years. I lost some members of my family. And I can remember going to see a friend of mine at the time in the midst of what was happening. And I was explaining to him that I felt like I'd lost all sense of purpose in life. And in the moment, in that time, when I said this to him, I thought what I meant was it was because I'd lost all those things. I thought that it was all the natural things, the things that were before me, those examples of circumstance and relationship. But in processing, what I realized is what I'd actually lost was God's will for my life. It wasn't the physical, it was the spiritual. I'd lost a sense of where God was calling me in my life. And that is why I was struggling. And we've seen so many examples of people who've struggled with faith and some, we probably know them, who have, who have walked or lost their faith along the way. And it's really sad and it's really hard when we see it. But I think if we can establish God's will in our lives and we share in that heavenly calling, that provides us with that foundation and that backing to hold on firmly to what God's promises are for our life. And how do we establish God's will for our life? I've just got four quick examples of practical ways, I think, that we can establish God's will for our lives. And they're not world-changing, new ideas. They're actually four simple things that I think we can all turn to. And the first of those, how do we establish is the Bible. 
Because as we study God's word, it will renew our minds. And a lot of God's will is actually quite categorically clear in the Bible. It's written in scripture. And so to establish that will for our life, we should start by reading the Bible. The second thing is prayer. And we've heard of the importance of prayer this year as part of the vision for a church and seeing the, God, the things that God is calling us to as a church, how important prayer is in, our, in all of our lives. And to simplify maybe prayer, it's simply that we get to talk to God and we get to listen to God. And for particular decisions, we should turn to prayer. And God will show us what is the will for our life as we pray and as we listen and as we seek. And the third thing is to seek wise counsel. And I think probably in today's society, this is something where we maybe struggle with this. But I think it's still so vitally important for us as Christians to find people who know the Lord, know the Bible, and have the Holy Spirit who can instruct us, finding people in our lives who have the wisdom, and then really simply borrowing it from them. And the fourth and final thing is the Holy Spirit. See, when you know something, you need to do that something. And this is the role of the Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit speaks to us and guides us and convicts us. What has God told you to do that you're not doing? And then also, just flip that around the other way. What has God told you not to do that you are doing? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? See, because it's important that we establish God's will for our life. These Christians in Hebrews were struggling and were contemplating giving up on their faith. And so there's a warning for us in that last verse that we need to hold firm to our confidence through the persecution, whatever that looks like, in whatever shape or form that is. Because no word or deed or situation or circumstance, human or spiritual, can rob you the promises of God and that is the truth I'm just going to finish with a just a little story of, around our son Noah one of the favourite things he loves to do at the moment is to help us to unload the dishwasher and um, he just each morning we go and unload it and he wants to get involved. He wants to participate. Um, but also one of the favorite things of Noah's when he's unloading the dishwasher is to grab the sharp knives. He loves the sharp knives. And um, he, doesn't, he doesn't know that they're dangerous. You know? He has no idea that they're dangerous. But he holds on to them firmly and we can't get them off him. And actually, you know, we can wave some chocolate, it doesn't work. 
We can offer a promise of Thomas the Tank Engine in the lounge. doesn't work. Everything we try, it doesn't work because he wants to hold on. And he wants to hold on to this knife. And I think in a very simple way, that is a picture of what God is saying to us here about holding on to the promises. Is that everything that we do, he holds on and we try and we try and wrestle the knife from his hand. We try and take it out. No word or deed can remove that from his hand. And it's the same for us. It's the same for us. As I said just before, no word or deed or situation or circumstance, human or spiritual, can rob you of the promises of God. Amen.